Well, aloha and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Maui, Hawaii. My name's Michael Benner, your host every Sunday for this program, and uh, thanks very much for being with us live or listening to us via podcast. Today's topic is Mastering Fear. Now, there are not very many books written about fear, because most authors don't like to put the word fear in the title, and even fewer editors and and publishers are interested in taking a risk on publishing a book with fear in the title. And the reason is obvious, people are afraid to face their fear. Fear is, by its very nature, frightening and scary, and seems to suggest danger and run away, run away. <laughs> Remember Monty Python, run away, run away. Um, and yet, fear has much more to do with confusion, a lack of information, or a lack of awareness. It's not a nice word, but ignorance would be another way of talking about what supports and nourishes our fear. Danger is very rare. You could come up with some examples. They probably involve driving on the freeway. But uh, we're not in that much danger, not like our ancestors who lived in the jungles and the forests uh, among wild animals and often faced real danger. They were often facing danger because of their ignorance as well. But the development then through evolution, through natural selection of a fight-or-flight response suggests that the brain or the subconscious mind, if you will, perceives all fear as potentially dangerous when in fact all fear is much more likely to suggest confusion or ignorance than any real danger. Again, I've already acknowledged that sometimes ignorance can lead to danger. But uh, if you ponder that point, you have already the major key to freedom from fear or to mastery of fear. That's our title today, Mastering Fear. Fear by any name, let's begin by talking about the many faces of fear because it's such a frightening word that we don't even use it. We have other names for it. Clinically, for example, our fear is called anxiety. The vicious cycle of anxiety held as muscular tension and the emotional and physical pain that it causes, the hurt and upset emotionally and physical pain in your body as a result of the tension and the oxygen deprivation. This is a vicious cycle of fear promoting ignorance, which promotes more fear. I mean, if you think about it, fear, as I've already stated here, my basic premise, is the feeling that goes with something unknown or confusing. But the response to fear is to get even more confused, which enhances those scary feelings 
and causes you to be confused even further and frightened even more and therefore more confusion, more anxiety, more ignorance, more fear, chugga, chugga, chugga. And when you feel stuck, that's what you're stuck in the middle of. The irony is stuck is not really stuck. The feeling of being stuck in a whirlpool, a cyclone of a vicious cycle of fear and ignorance is actually a matter of holding on. Now, there's two real important points. Fear is rarely about danger. It's almost always about what you do not know or do not understand. And secondly, the feeling of being stuck in it is really holding on to it. I mean, look at the holding on response. When you're afraid or nervous or worried, some more words, apprehensive, anxious, nervous, that's held in the body as muscular tension. And your hands begin to move into fists. And fists are good for hitting, but they also hold on to things. Many, many times I've had clients and students say, I get that part. I understand that, Michael, but how do I let go? That seems an odd question. You know, how do you let go? Um, pick something up and drop it. Pick something up that needs to be thrown away. Walk over to the bin, the trash can. Open the lid. Hold the object over the can and let go. And it falls. You release it. Why don't we do that? Why are we afraid to let go of what we're holding on to? The fear is that then we'll never understand it. That we need to hold on to it, even if we call it being stuck, because it represents something we don't know. So we're trapped, really, between wanting to know about it and being in denial (laughs) and playing victim. I'm not holding on. I'm stuck. And I don't want to face my fear, but I'm going to continue to carry it around with me. You know, you've heard the phrase emotional baggage. Well, if you open those bags, those foot lockers of pain that we drag around with us everywhere we go, you're going to find that they're full of many emotions. But what unifies them all, what connects everything that hurts, is our fear, our anxiety, by any name. So clinically, we call fear that is not danger, but related to what we do not understand, anxiety. To go a third step, what we don't understand about our fears is invariably about us not the world around you, right? That's the third point for you note-takers. I'm so gratified that many people actually write these things down. Okay. Uh, So fear is ignorance, not danger. Uh, Stuck is holding on. It's not really stuck. And the relationship that fear has with ignorance, the ignorance is 
the failure to know thyself, or as in Hamlet, to thine own self be true. There's a beautiful phrase in the book of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas, which Christians apparently don't want to know about. I know the church doesn't want you to know about it, but most Christians seem absolutely disinterested in the revelations of this gospel that are older than the four gospels that Constantine insisted on using in the third century, more accurate, more valid, um, closer to the words of Christ than any of the four gospels Constantine used. Um, I can only paraphrase it, but uh, Christ, according to Thomas, uh, says that when you know yourself, that you will understand that you are a son of the living Father. This is one reason the church <laughs> doesn't want you to know. You're all sons. This is also in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that we're all children of the Most High. And Christ is quoted as having said that, but that you won't realize the divinity in you or the profound meaning of being made in the image of divinity until you turn and face your fear. Face what you do not understand about yourself. That's what supports everything that hurts in your life. <clears throat> Most physical pain, as well as the emotional pain. All right. Christ goes on to say, if you do not know yourself, you will live in poverty, and that poverty will be yours. Now, he's not talking about financial poverty. He's talking about a poverty of spirit. And this gets a little confusing because there is a phrase that religious scholars use and have to deal with called being about being poor in spirit and to be poor in spirit is really a good thing the way it's often used it means to be humble it means to be oriented not toward materialism and material wealth but to impoverish yourself in a material sense so that you can enrich yourself in a spiritual sense so poor in spirit, in most cases, is a good thing. <laughs> and so don't be confused by that. But in this case, where Christ talks about poverty, and the poverty will be yours if you fail to know yourself, it just means you're going to be miserable. Uh, indeed, this is hell. Um, there's heaven and hell. Earth is hell. And... The only prayer Christ ever taught was to the Father. Nobody, he never asked to be that anybody pray to Christ, to him. Uh, he said, pray to the Father. Um, and, of course, there is that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, on, thy, thy uh, kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in hell as it is in heaven. Uh, the coming of the kingdom, 
the bringing of heaven to earth, the redemption of this earthly hell, and the suffering, the damnation that we cause for ourselves through simple fear and ignorance. So mastering fear is understanding it, facing it, knowing that it's about you, accepting the truth, realizing you are not your fear, you are not the egoic self that keeps telling you that you are what you fear, all right? And rising above that in three ways, through study, read inspirational literature, through meditation, um, close your eyes, still the body, calm the mind, and quiet the heart. If you're not meditating, you haven't got a chance. Um, life is like careening down the freeway, uh, drunk at 120 miles an hour, if you don't meditate. You just haven't got a chance. And uh, thirdly, mindfulness, which is to bring the meditation into the waking state, really, to mindfulness is bringing your attention intentionally <laughs> to form the intention to bring your attention to the present moment, to what's happening in your life right now. And again, let go of or release the distractions of past regrets and resentments. That's where we keep going. The ego keeps taking you there or projecting you into the future, which obviously is unknown. So there's the unknown from the future. There's the I never did know or understand from the past, neither of which is real. The only thing that's real is this eternal instant, this, this pinpoint of time that continues to unfold. It has a rhythm. It has a beat to it. But it's now, and it's right here. Everywhere you go, it's right here, right now. That's the only reality that there is. So mindfulness is about bringing first your attention to the moment to understand that the reality of life unfolds moment to moment. All right? And if you're dwelling on the past and fearing the future, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You're missing your life. Okay? Because you're not paying attention. I tell the story of the chocolate brownie that that I ate and forgot to pay attention to. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to like uh, uh, an expensive dinner, paid a lot of money for it, but you were worried about something or lost in conversation and you, you, you never enjoyed the meal, you never paid attention, right? Or you watch your kids grow up and all of a sudden they're packing their bags to go off to college. And they go out into the world and 
get married and have kids of their own, and and you lost them. They're gone. And maybe you realize you didn't really pay nearly as much attention to them as children as you could have. You just missed out. You forgot to pay attention. You thought they'd always be there, and they'd always be these adorable little kids. Hopefully you have a few Kodak moments and and times you did pay attention to draw upon. They can be very enriching. But, you know, it's often some crisis of health where people who survive will look back on their lives and reorder their priorities, wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I working 60 hours a week to try to create a life when I have no time to enjoy the life I'm creating. And I do this for my family, but I hardly see my family. They're all off running around doing other things. Um, Mindfulness is about bringing your attention back to the moment, the unfolding reality of now. And then secondly, Doing it without judgment. Notice the the obsessive and compulsive nature of the mind constantly judging things as right or wrong or good or bad or you're a winner or, dude, you're a loser. It's just your mind telling you those things. Why? Well, we'll talk about it in greater detail in other programs. Why the, there's, there's actually a couple of things the mind does. Another is constantly seek acceptance. And a third is looking for control. Judgment, acceptance, and control are three things that the mind does that distract you from the reality of the present moment, and you wonder why you're not happy. You're not here. You don't have to believe everything you think. And when the ego, which is fear-based by its very nature, its job is to keep you alive in the jungle. And the ego, for the most part, has not received the message that you're not in the jungle anymore, you're safe. Most of the time. (laughs) Stay off the freeway, and you'll be safe. Uh, So it continues to tell you that you're really in great danger, and you believe you are those thoughts. You believe it because you think it. Because you think it, you believe it. You don't have to believe those thoughts. You have arguments with yourself all the time. You think one thing, and immediately your mind says, but wait a minute, on second thought, well, if you're arguing with yourself, which one's right? If you have this phenomena of, wait a minute, on second thought, da-da-da-da-da-da, how could you possibly believe you are what you think or how you feel? Right. 
You are the consciousness that attracts those thoughts and feelings magnetically. And you can embrace them or you can learn from them and release them. And all negative thoughts are fear-based. All negative feelings are fear-based, can be learned from, and then released. Or, in an alchemical sense, transmuted or transformed, or in a Christian sense, if you will, redeemed and resurrected. This is water to wine. This is lead to gold. To lift something that you don't know about yourself into an understanding and to convert ignorance to understanding is to master fear and change it into love and peace and harmony through acceptance now, many people are afraid of acceptance they're afraid uh, terrified to accept anything negative about themselves because that would be the end of it. In fact, acceptance is the beginning. That's also good for writing down. Acceptance is not the end. You don't throw in the towel when you accept something that you've come to understand about yourself that might appear on the surface to be negative. You make it positive by accepting the truth of it, learning from it, and then you'll see that the hurt and the upset disappears. It vaporizes. Acceptance is a beginning. Acceptance is the point where you push off, having now understood. So, fear has many names. Anxiety, stress is a reference to the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance or anxiety and confusion. Then there's nervousness and worry and doubt and apprehension and the willies and the heebie-jeebies and the cold sweats and We've got lots of ice. To, at one point, I was writing them down. I gave up. There were too many. But it all boils down to fear. All negative thoughts and negative feelings, so-called, are fear-based and are generated by and supported by what you do not understand about yourself. You got that? And the only other kind of feeling or thought is positive, and that's love-based. So all you have is fear and love. And you can say, well, the love is good and the fear is bad, but you'd be making a mistake. This is not good and bad or good over evil. Fear is not bad, even though it hurts. It's a symptom. Everything that hurts physically and emotionally is a symptom. It's some aspect of self trying to get your attention and saying, I represent something that you're confused about, something about you that you do not understand. 
So pay attention and learn, or I'm going to hurt you even more. What do I have to do to get your attention? You know, life will sometimes touch you with a feather. Initially, a gentle touch to get your attention, to teach you something, because that's why we're here, to learn about love and fear. And we brush it off because we're busy, and so life gives you a little shove. And you recover your balance and go on about your business because you're busy. You're doing very important things. You're a very important person. So life finds a sharp stick and pokes you with a sharp stick. And you're irritated. And you push away. But you still don't do anything until life hits you over the head with a brick. And then people say, why me? What did I do? I don't deserve this. Well, deserving has nothing to do with it. If you pay attention to the feather's touch, to the little gentle nudge, we can learn, we can understand ourselves with much more elegance and grace. And we <laughs> Life doesn't have to hit us over the head with a brick to get our attention. And you don't have to put yourself through that why me stuff. Right? Turn within. You've spent your whole life looking out into the world for answers that do not exist. Turn within. Through study, through meditation, and through mindfulness. And if you're not doing all three, you're going to suffer not a threat, it's a simple statement of fact that I know to be true only because it's happened to me countless times in my life that I get busy, I get distracted, I get filled with self-importance. I put aside my arcane and esoteric work, busy myself with the physical world and the realities of creating income and paying bills and whatever it may be, washing dishes or doing the laundry or making sure the car is filled with gas and a million other details. My spiritual life falls to the wayside, and the next thing I know, I'm in pain. Physical pain or illness and or emotional pain, which is life grabbing you by the shirt, shaking you, saying, why aren't you paying attention? We've got work to do. And, and you know, I have great compassion and sympathy for all of us because you really have to work to get this information. Again, most people believe that uh, a pursuit of spirituality is limited to some sort of religious practice. And there is some spirituality in religion, but there's a lot of in religion that has nothing to do with spirituality, with ethics or morality 
or the divinity of which you are truly made. It is by design hidden within you, and life is the journey or the adventure to discover the truth of your spiritual magnificence. And it's a little scavenger hunt, a little treasure hunt. It's hidden where you're least afraid. I'm sorry, it's hidden where you're least likely to look. It's hidden where you're most afraid to go. The best parts of you are hidden within fear. (laughs) What a trick. To force you to face fear to look at what you do not understand about yourself so as to understand it and thereby redeem the fear to love. And that's who you are, and that's what you're for. You are a redeemer. You are an alchemist. You are a magician. You are a vehicle that exists for the purpose of understanding life from your unique point of view. You cannot delegate that job. Sometimes they talk about the sign in the bakery in Big Sur, California. It's it's come to be rather infamous over the years. It says, chew your food well if you don't, who will? Know yourself. If you don't, who will? You expect your spouse to do that? Figure you out and often they're willing. They're more than happy to tell you their version of who you are, but that's only their version of who you are and has much more to do with them than you. So no matter how much they love you, there's little you'll really learn about yourself from your spouse, from your friends, from your lovers and your enemies. You know, in our premium uh, audio series, Finding Yourself in Paradise, at the FocusedPassion.com website, Steve and I were talking in a recent program about imagining yourself in a coal mine. And you've got a miner's cap on with one of those headlights. And as you go deeper into the coal mine, and it's pitch black, if it were not for the little headlight on your helmet, you couldn't see a thing. But you turn the headlight, you you turn that on, you can see around. And wherever you look, the headlamp illumines the direction in which you look, and the area you had been looking at as you turn away falls into darkness again as this other area where you're turning and fixing your gaze now comes into view for the headlamp. And then imagine that that headlight has a camera attached, so it's a headlight and a camera, and everything you're looking at is being recorded. And somebody's with you. So each of you have a helmet with a headlight 
and a camera. And everywhere you look is being illumined and recorded. And later you come out of the coal mine and you play back the tape. Are you really going to be surprised that there's two different movies here? Well, of course not. You'd say, well, of course we're watching different movies here. We were looking in different... I mean, don't you get it? You're not going to learn very much at all about yourself from anybody else, whether they're a big fan or a big detractor. What the self describes, describes the self. Even if somebody is setting you straight and appears to be telling you about you, <laughs> they're really talking about themselves. That childhood taunt takes one to no one is, it turns out, really quite profound. What the self describes, describes the self. Or another version of that from the Talmud is we see the world not as it is, but as we are. That's 4,000-year-old wisdom. 4,000 years ago, some wise woman or man wrote that down. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. If it's been around for at least 4,000 years, you'd think we would have heard about it. You'd, you'd think we would understand that and remember that, mindfully remind ourselves Again and again and again and again and again. I'm watching my own movie here. This is my life. And does it overlap or intersect yours? Well, of course. Do we have shared experience? Yeah, from time to time. Is there any chance that we could, for short periods of time, watch the same movie? Yeah, a little bit but you can't rely on it. Your job is to chew your food well. If you don't, who will? Your job is to know thyself, to thine own self be true, to realize the truth of who you are. As a spiritual being, temporarily trapped in this incarnation, feeling and appearing as if you are separate when in fact you are part of the one life connected to all things and all things connected to you and to each other. A gossamer web, one mind at work. All right? So there's nothing to fear. Fear is always an illusion. Fear is always a bad nightmare. But it has the potential to teach us things. Okay? We can learn. What it represents is what we don't know. But when we face it, we can learn from it. I'd like to suggest to you, and this is my model, only, there are many models of the basic fears of life or in life. This happens to be mine. Study them all. 
I just offer you humbly my understanding of the roots of fear so that you might understand. And I'll do them in order of the from least significant to most significant. The least significant source of fear, number one, is real danger. It's exceedingly rare. Again, this fight-or-flight response that has evolved through natural selection and been passed down by survivors of danger, that's who we are. We're the offspring of people who were easily frightened, (laughs) right? We're the survivors of the scaredy-cats. And the people who freaked and ran or who stood and fought, actually fight or flight, freeze or faint. You've also got the deer in the headlights and the possum. But most people call it fight or flight. Uh, That's been handed down. So we have a hair trigger. We're hypersensitive. We're really good at that. And yet, through our technology, we've protected ourselves from most danger. The greatest danger now that human beings face is other human beings. Danger, as I say, is just not that great. I know much is made if you watch television and read the newspapers and magazines of terrorism and all the bad people that are out to get you and steal your color TV. They're going to they're going to come in in their Al-Qaeda submarines and battleships and steal your big flat screen. That's the big fear, right? And you're all going to end up speaking Arabic, Arabic, (laughs) Arabic, (laughs) Farsi. It used to be when I was a kid, the fear was the, uh, what Lyndon Johnson called the yellow horde. The Chinese were going to swarm into America and uh, steal your station wagon, right? The danger is not real. The first fear is a fear of real danger. The second fear is unreal danger, imaginary danger. And this is bigger than the real danger. You know, fear of um, anthrax. Remember we went through that. Fear of uh, the bird flu. Oh, you're all going to get the bird flu. And then the swine flu, everybody ran out and got vaccinated for that. Right? Nobody bothered to tell you that that was all because Donald Rumsfeld owned the vaccine and made hundreds of millions of dollars on that flu scare. Right? Um, fear of flying is a good example of the second fear. Uh a fear that appears dangerous. You look out the window at 35,000 feet, and then you start thinking of the videos you've seen of airplane crashes, 
and fiery airplanes cartwheeling down the runway, uh, it's easy to get scared. Sweaty palms, the whole deal, as if you're in real danger. But statistically, you know, or you should know, that you're safer on any airplane than you were driving to the terminal, to the airport, or walking through the terminal. You were in greater danger than you'll ever be on an airplane. Still, it looks dangerous. It's perception. It's like the story of the, the man that sees a rope, looks at a rope, but he sees a snake and is frightened of the snake. It's not a snake, it's a rope. Okay? Perception is reality. There is an objective reality, but we'll probably never get there. We have to deal with the intervening subjective reality, our particular twist on things. These are the first two fears of the seven root fears in my model, real danger and imaginary danger. The third is the fear that uh, we can't, uh, that we don't have enough time. This is uh, great anxiety and stress comes from hurry-up sickness, Uh, never really getting it together, never really getting all your ducks in a row. No matter what you do, no matter how organized, there's just never enough time. Because we've made a horrible mistake of viewing time as a movement through space, a timeline. We lay it over the number line that we learned in the first grade, where zero is in the middle and the negative numbers go off to the left. That's the past. And these positive numbers that go from zero to infinity off to the right, that's the future. I mean, a a clock is round for a reason. It goes around and around and around. It's just a rhythm. We're not going anywhere. So this idea of controlling time or time being a quantity is an absolute illusion or delusion and generates an enormous amount of fear and anxiety and stress because we just don't understand the truth about time. Most people, in spite of being well-educated, don't get the theory of relativity by Einstein that time is a function of movement through space. Time is relative. The faster you go in space, the slower time is. Tempted to get off into a tangent. I'm not going to do that. Suffice to say, hurry up. Trying to get it done is a, a big stressor, source of anxiety, and fear number three. Fear number four is the already mentioned need to control things a fear that there's not enough control. And 
we try to control the stimulus rather than our response. We try to control what happens to us before it happens to us rather than managing your response and your perception to what happens to you. So I have news for you. You can indeed control your perception or attitude and your response. In most cases, you cannot control what's done to you. Sometimes you could influence or persuade, but you know, it's like the old guru said, you you cannot control the waves, but you can learn to surf. Or the sailor, I can't control the wind, but I can trim my sails. And a good sailor can actually sail into the wind by zigzagging, tacking back and forth. Stress, anxiety, and fear is not so much what's done to you as what you choose consciously to do with it. Don't you see it's all in your response? You're making it all up. You are in the image of the creator. You're creating your life. If you don't like it, change it. And we'll talk about how. I've already suggested study, meditation, and mindfulness. Well, now, those are the first four fears, real danger, imaginary danger, time, and control. The next three are even bigger. They are number five. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this or that or the other thing. What do you think I should do? Well, what do you want me to do about it? All this effort into what do I do? And rarely do we say about what? About this, about this pain. Well, if you knew it was rooted in fear and ignorance, you'd face it and understand it. That's what to do. But it leaves all these other areas of our lives where we feel like to do about changing this. I I know what to avoid, but I don't know what to put in its place. And this is fear number six. The reason you don't understand number five, what do I do, is in most cases we don't know number six, what do I want? And the reason we don't know what to do, number five, because we don't know what we want, number six, is the big one. Number seven, you don't know the person doing the wanting or the doing or seeking the control or trying to manage the time or decide whether danger is real or imagined. Who am I is of little interest to most people. The fact that you're listening today live or by podcast or streaming audio or whatever makes you an exceptional individual. 
most people, the vast majority of human beings, care nothing about why they feel the way they feel, why they think the way they think, and why we do the crazy things we do. They like their fear. I told you we hold on to it. Stuck is holding on. We love our fear. We wrap ourselves in fear. We carry it around. Suitcases, footlockers, wherever we go, we drag our anxieties and our ignorance with us. And then try to control the world around you. We'll drop bombs on it. We'll try to make a lot of money to manage and manipulate the world of effect all around us while continuing to ignore the reality within. And then you say, well, I'm a religious person. Well, whatever your religion, they all say the kingdom is within Yeah, but there's too much pain in the way, don't you see? In other words, the path to the kingdom leads through some scary parts. You have to go through some bad parts of town to get there. You have to to look at your failures and your regrets and your resentments and your lost opportunities and your... humiliating memories. You have to learn to understand yourself in order to forgive yourself. And then you have to understand that you're not the self that you thought you were anyway. You're much more than that. You're not the fear-based self. You're the love-based self. You're not the separated material being living in a world of separated form, you are your love. You are your care, caring capacity. It's interesting that we've made a political argument out of whether you are sentimental, loving, and caring or not. We have a whole culture war in America based on pitting self-centered self-interest against a caring, uh, bleeding heart nature. Bleeding heart has always been, since the term was coined by a newspaper columnist in the 20s, a derogatory slap at people that care too much. But these are false choices. The idea of self-interest versus community interest is a false choice. And part of understanding yourself and understanding the, the truth of who you are is harmony. Replacing the either or with and. And saying that both things are true relatively speaking. Might be 60-40 for you, might be 30-70 for me, might be 90-10 or 49-51, but truth is always relative, and we're dealing with a lot of people that want it to be absolute. And a lot of people that have 
never had to face any of this. They're not critical thinkers. Too many schools do not teach critical thinking. People don't understand the problem with absolutism. They want things to be absolutely true or absolutely false. If you can tell me when small becomes big and slow becomes fast, then you can begin to make a case for absolutes. Is it bigger than a bread box? (laughs) There are no absolutes. Any absolutes that exist are spiritual in nature and beyond the veil, beyond the material world. The material world is a world of relative truth, a matter of degree, and you know that. So you need to remind yourself of that and your friends that want to live in an absolute world, you need to educate them also. Leave the absolutes to the spiritual domains that you're never going to fully understand anyway. You think you can have an absolute understanding of reality? I don't think so. But you can have a relative understanding. There's a lot of humility in understanding things as relatively true or relatively untrue from your point of view, from your unique point of view. Let that be enough. This need we have to set everybody straight and the defensive nature of most people, if you just express your point of view, most people need to set you straight. Say, no, that's not the way it is. As if we could agree. Remember the the coal miner hat with a camera on it. Why would we agree? Why should we agree? We're all different. We all have fingerprints and DNA proof that we're looking at life from a unique point of view. Why would we agree? Civilization is about finding some common areas where we can agree. Like, don't kill each other. Don't steal somebody's stuff. If you have nothing nice to say, keep your mouth shut. Don't gossip. Right? Stuff like that. Those are the seven big fears. From least important to most important. The fear of danger, number one. Number two, fear caused by imaginary danger. Number three, the fear and anxiety and stress around time. Four is control. And then five, six, and seven are, I don't know what to do, because six, I don't know what I want. Because seven, I don't know who I am. And now, they're all understandable. You don't know who you are. And most of your life, you've never been interested. And now that you're interested, you're really not sure how to proceed. Well, you can learn something of yourself from watching your behavior. You can learn a little bit about yourself by observing your thought process, your 
tendency to think a certain way. You can actually learn quite a bit about yourself from looking at your emotional nature. Though most people aren't, you know, really exposed to that unless they've done some therapy, which I recommend for everybody. Therapy is not for crazy people. You're crazy if you don't do it. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, I'm biased. I'm, I worked as a therapist most of my life, but I'm obviously biased. But you know, I've been on both sides of that couch. How else are you going to learn emotional intelligence? You're going to wait for the TV show that that teaches you how to be introspective and contemplative? I don't think so. If there was such a show, if there were, who would sponsor it? <laughs> okay. The bottom line is, again, simple but not easy. To become fascinated, even obsessed in a positive way, with a perpetual, ever-unfolding understanding of your spiritual nature. Beyond your behavior, beyond your thoughts, and beyond your emotional feelings, something remains. When you still the body, quiet the mind, and calm those emotional waters, There is an ineffable feeling or a set of feelings that stand above the lower three. Your actions, your thoughts, and your feelings. There's something more. And these feelings can be understood intuitively, not logically but intuitively, not instinct, not George Bush's gut feeling. That's animal nature. That's a herd mentality. That's second chakra. I'm talking about fourth chakra, the heart chakra. Intuition is much more evolved than instinct. You can talk about your gut, but, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between lust and compassion with a whole lot of emotional caring and sharing in the middle. And only when you become interested, again, through some sort of contemplative or meditative process in setting aside 10 or 15 minutes once a day or more to turn away from the physical exterior world and focus within, to still the body, to quiet the mind and to calm the heart, to release the fear and face what you do not know or understand about yourself, only then does the light come in 
and supplant the darkness. Oh, I see. <laughs> Far out, I get it. Oh, all right. Well, that makes sense. Well, geez, no wonder. You know, a lot of this is just therapy, the idea of using these quiet, reflective states and the intellect, the capacity to understand that you've developed as an adult to look back at your childhood. Now you can understand what you never could have understood as a child, and now you can express what you never were allowed to express as a child. And through the understanding and the release of expressing, let it go. Leave it behind. Drop it. Forget about it. And look forward. Not too far forward. You know, you can drive cross-country at night 200 feet at a time. Those headlights don't have to go that far. So don't look too far forward. Then you start to fear what you don't know. It's like looking forward, facing forward in the now. What's happening right now? Without judgment, without judging things. Live in the now, live in the moment. Experience what's happening. Listen to the birds. Listen to the wind and the trees. Lay on your back and watch the clouds. You did it as a kid. It felt wonderful. Why are, why are we as adults so, what, dignified or terrified to go lay in the grass on your back and watch the clouds float or climb a tree? Maybe you're too old to climb a tree. Maybe you don't have any trees that are big enough to climb. If you can't climb a tree, at least hug it. I'm a big believer in hugging trees. I'm not only proud to have a bleeding heart, I love hugging trees. And putting my hand in the dirt. To connect to the world around you. That's what's real, not those thoughts in your head that are churning away. That's the source of your fear. And in nature, you will understand yourself. Because you'll see yourself connected to those birds, resonating with the wind and the trees. The symphony of sound as the wind blows through this tree and that bush and rattles these flowers over here. And then you breathe that wind, that air. You see? And as you exhale, you feel the letting go of stress and tension of fear and ignorance and worry and doubt. It's a practice. Mastering fear, you're not going to get there. 
You're not supposed, there is no there there. It's not a destination, it's a journey. It's a path. It's the via or the way. There is no way to love. Love is the way. There is no path to peace. Peace is the path. You don't need a reason to feel peaceful. You don't need a reason to love. You don't need a reason to be happy or fulfilled. Be happy and fulfilled, peaceful and loving, and watch what happens. You will be filled with more love and light. And your journey will be a whole lot smoother. There's still going to be some steep parts. You still got to climb the mountain. There's still going to be some potholes in the road. You're going to have some problems. But it'll be a much easier, much more graceful, even elegant stroll rather than this crawling and clawing, scraping your way along. Buddhist calls this the hero's journey. Because the greatest fears in your life are fears about your life. Your life. And so it is heroic when you choose to become the spiritual warrior that wages a battle against personal ignorance and confusion. And with the shield of love and the sword of truth, you step into the darkness, into the ignorance, into the fear, and dedicate your life to understanding yourself first and foremostly. And you find that you are more than the self. Indeed, you are not this separated self. Eventually, you'll find that there is no self. But there is awareness. The problem with describing the no-self or the non-self is people believe that they lose awareness. You talk about the death of the ego. People think, oh, then I cease to exist. You can exist without a self. There are times, the the best times in life, are the times that you not only exist, but you're just filled with joy and wonder and awe and bliss and ecstasy. Because... You stopped being concerned about the pathetic, egoic self. 
You didn't care about yourself. You got caught up in helping somebody else, for example. And that's when we're our best. You got to push the ego out of the driver's seat over into the shotgun position. The ego's job is to get your back, to cover your back, to watch out for the exceedingly rare instance of real danger. You find yourself walking down the dark alley late at night in a bad part of town. The ego will take over. Don't worry. (laughs) Ego will come to the fore and protect the separated self to the best of its ability. But when you deliberately create situations and, and periods of safety, where you can relax and reflect upon your true nature. You can release the fear. This is mastery. Face what you don't know about the self. By facing it, looking at it, you come to understand it. Transmute fear to understanding. That's transmuting fear to love. That's what love does. It heals. It changes things. It redeems. It uplifts. It saves. You don't have to make a religion out of that. Or as I often say, limit it to a single lifetime as if the only thing that needs redeeming is your eternal soul. Actually, your soul is the one thing that doesn't need redemption. It's the ego that needs redeeming. And this hell we've created out of a paradise on earth, given a paradise by all accounts, we've turned it into a cesspool. There's plenty to do here. to do in the world but again it's think globally but act locally you want to solve the problems of the world you want to make a contribution start with yourself you want to do something really radical and subversive grow yourself heal yourself know yourself and do it with study That means coming back to this webinar, listening to the podcast. I'd rather have you here live, of course, so you can participate. We'll go to the questions and comments here in just a minute. Listen to similar programs on the Internet. Download tapes and lectures. Read books. Listen to audio books from as many diverse, inspiring sources as you can. Study and meditate. If you don't know how, just close your eyes, watch your breath, and let your mind go crazy on you. If you continue to breathe, watch your breath, and feel a letting go of muscular tension, those ten voices will become eight, and then six voices, 
those pictures in your head will become fewer and fewer. The visuals and the voices will begin to quiet and calm. (laughs) And you can teach yourself. But, you know, again, to practice, we've got uh, visualization or guided imagery on the back end of pretty much every one, almost all of the classes we do here. And then mindfulness, a practice of mindfulness, which is every time you find yourself distracted by your thoughts, bring your attention back to the moment and stop judging. You don't have to vanquish or kill the part of you that does the judging. Just ignore it. The part of you that keeps telling you that you should be judging. Is this right or wrong? Is it good or bad? And and after you're done working on yourself, notice how important it seems to be to judge other people and figure other people out. It's irrelevant. It's meaningless. It's a distraction. You're wasting your life by not paying attention to what you're seeing. What are your eyes seeing right now? Go look out the window or read a book or listen to some music or paint or dance or sing play an instrument right now in the moment look see breathe feel everything else is an illusion stop the judging the petitioning for acceptance the desire to control what's done to you and live moment to moment You'll only be able to do it for short periods of time. That's why it's a practice. Then those periods get a little bit longer. Right? Let's go to your questions and your comments. I mean, there's hours and hours, days, weeks we could spend on this subject. This just scratches the surface. But uh, we got to start somewhere. And we'll repeat this. This is a a topic that is so fundamental. It needs to be repeated many, many times. So if you're on the telephone and you'd like uh, to comment, or if you have a question, press star 2 on your telephone touchpad. And that will raise a little flag on uh, my console, and I'll come back to you. I don't see any right now. Star 2, if you're on Skype or cell phone or landline. And let me go to the the text Q&A and see what folks have to say. I've got uh, Carol Postel in La Habra. He says, hello, Michael and Doreen. Aloha, Carol. 
Phil Jaffe in Canova Park. And uh, he's saying hello and aloha. Craig in Michigan says, what is the beginning step in releasing decades of self-blame? Self-blame, self-loathing, self-criticism, sometimes the the voice inside us is called the critical parent, as if we feel some need to parent ourselves. This is often a holdover from just the anxieties as a kid, where we feel scared and and not sufficiently protected. But while this is, you know, meaty. Uh, pithy, heavy stuff and the therapy quality issues, I think we could approach it, Craig, as a an interest in why we feel so damn guilty. You use the word self-blame. I'm going to use the word guilt to mean the same thing. Why do I feel guilty? And uh, I think the reason that we feel these negative feelings is the same reason we feel physical pain or discomfort in our body. They're symptoms. They're part of a wonderful process of getting our attention. So self-blame or guilt is the sharp stick. This is hey, pay attention to this stuff. So what are we blaming ourselves for? What do we feel guilty of having done or not done, failed to do, or did successfully and then regretted it? Right? Um, That has to be followed not only by understanding, but acceptance and then self-forgiveness. So if we continue to blame ourselves and continue to feel guilty over long periods of time, it means we don't yet fully understand the lesson that is bound up here, that the symptom of self-blame or guilt is trying to get us to pay attention to. There's more to understand, and then we have to accept that, again, not as a an ending, but as a place to begin. Like those blocks the runners get in on track and field events, you know, the sprinters especially, they get down and they put their feet in these blocks and they push off from those blocks the moment they hear the starting gun. Those blocks that you push off from are like a swimmer when they do a turn and push off from the wall. That's what acceptance does. It provides you with a push-off point to launch yourself by accepting that this is or was the truth. That acceptance, that getting real about it, is a place to begin. It's not, oh, hell, throw in the towel and give up. This now foreshadows my future. 
So understanding, acceptance, and then forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Well, it's simply putting it down as irrelevant. Once you really understand and accept, I don't want to say our failings. I think more accurately that we're human beings. And that's why we're here. We're not here to be, quote, successful. We're not here um, for our own enjoyment or purposes. We're here as a sacrifice. We're here incarnated in this world to learn. And as many wise women and men have said, the pain is mandatory. The suffering is optional. The pain, the initial slap in the face, the feelings of regret, resentment, self-blame, guilt, is mandatory. The symptoms are essential to the understanding. The suffering, the, the prolonged suffering is optional. So if we're continuing to feel it over significant periods of time, it's because we're still stuck in this process of understanding, accepting, and forgiving. And when we fully understand it and accept it, whatever it is that we feel guilty of doing or not doing, uh, then we can forgive and let go. Through humility, through compassion, by, uh, you know, you can be compassionate with yourself. <laughs> It's part of the humility process. Remember that each of us belongs to or is a member of. Remember that you're a member of the human race. And humans screw things up. Humans are very complicated. We have this egoic nature that asserts itself as real. And we have this tendency to identify with the separated self alone in a world where everything is separated from everything else. We tend to discount the truth that we're really part of just one thing at work. The existence of consciousness as love. Love and light. Awareness and caring. And uh, it's a pra- again, it's a practice, man. Like anything else, you just got to keep at it. If you're a golfer, you got to go out and hit a bucket of balls. You got to practice your putting. Right? The best athletes in the world continue to practice, practice, practice. Living is a practice. It involves the study, the meditation, and the mindfulness that we talked about. It's a very good question. Somebody here named Doreen Key in Paradise that says, Aloha, everyone. Looking forward to another show, as usual, another great show. And uh, she wants to recommend that we all watch a movie that Doreen and I just saw yesterday with Naomi Watts and uh, Sean Penn. Uh, The movie about uh, Joe Wilson and his wife, Valerie Plame, called Fair Game. And uh, it's just being released on DVD now. It's... uh, available through Netflix, 
And it's a reminder that governments lie to us and perpetuate lies, coordinate lies. Very nice expose on uh, the abuses of uh, government, even in uh, this country. Or maybe we should say, especially in this country. Fair game, good flick. I enjoyed it. I know Doreen did. Uh, let's see. Phil wants to know, what's the music, Phil in Canoga Park, what's the music you play each week just before the Mystery School? Well, there's three or four different tunes that I play. Um, and I can't even tell you now because I've gathered them up over the years. Um, I think one of the one of the tunes I use is uh, Stephen Halpern. And then there's a couple others that I don't even know where, where I got them or where they came from. But, um, oh, one is Liquid Music by, uh, who's the Liquid Music guy? Chuck Wild, I think. Let me check that out for you. I'll get back to you. Um, let's see. What is this? Um, suicide attempts increase stress and fear. And then he puts ignorance, right? Because that's what I'm talking about. So uh, he's talking about people that get really depressed and make these suicide attempts, which just compounds the stress and fear, compounds the ignorance. More vicious cycle, right? The attempt, at least, does not help release the stress for long. What's next? Well, again, it depends. You can go one of two ways, essentially. Uh, continue to be stressed and frightened and ignorant. This is the problem, in most cases, with not getting adequate talk therapy. Um, I have some respect for the field of psychiatry. Uh, I suppose there's some good that they do, but to rely on drugs as if people who are depressed are suffering from some anxiety disorder or simply missing chemicals, I think is not true. They're not missing chemicals. They need talk therapy. And the best therapist will always employ guided imagery or a visualization process. Anyone who is seeing a therapist, a talk therapist, who does not at, at some point in each session ask you to close your eyes and relax, you need to find another therapist because they're not using these proven tools and skills that will accelerate the healing. Um, this is true, again, for physical pain and suffering as well as emotional pain and suffering. Um, why do you think the doctor says, call me in the morning? You know, Because you're going to feel better after sleeping and get some rest. Um, so finding that balanced state between awake and asleep that narrow awake, not wide awake, but 
at a point where you're even more alert, but you're so relaxed. That's what meditation is. And in those states, your intuition is enormously enhanced. And with the guidance of a good therapist, you can... Uh, I mean, this is the essence of sports psychology. We can accelerate learning in sports or in a classroom uh, by hundreds of percent, by many, many times, using states of deep, relaxa- uh, deep relaxation. If stress and tension is the problem, stress and fear were your words, then relaxation would be the antidote. If ignorance is the problem, understanding is the antidote. And nothing promotes understanding like ah, a breath and a letting go feeling. So make sure you find a therapist who is using some relaxation process. Closed eye, letting go, feeling the letting go in your body, slow, deep breathing, and some form of guided imagery or a visualization, okay? Uh, Or variation on that, like affirmations. Um, So what's next? You either find somebody to help or you don't. Uh, Find somebody, keep, keep, if you're not getting help from a therapist, don't give up on therapy. Find a better therapist. Right? If you go to buy a car and you don't like any of the cars in the lot, you go to a different lot. Right? It's really really what that's about. I feel very strongly about that, too. Talk therapists who are not using some closed-eye relaxation process either don't know any better or are deliberately retarding the process to prolong their income stream, which would be very unethical if that's the case. In Lakeland, Florida, Becky is with us. She says, I lost the fear, but I hold a grudge. Oh, Becky, then you have not lost the fear. You're just calling it something else. If it's not love, it's fear. If it's holding on, Anything. If you're holding, listen to your words, I hold a grudge. What do you have to do to hold something? Employ muscular tension and stress. That's, that's fear. Why, why are you holding on to that? Right? So let it go. Forgive. It's irrelevant. <laughs> Put it down. How does your pain punish the person that you're angry at, the person for whom you hold this grudge or against whom you have this anger. How does your pain teach them? See, they're not hurting. The person that holds the grudge hurts. So you may think that you lost the fear because you're not afraid of it, and the scary parts have gone away. But any holding on is fear by any name. Call it anxiety or worry or doubt or nervousness or apprehension, physical tension, lots of names for it. But 
My argument is it's all fear. Judy in Arcadia says, Aloha, Michael, great class. Thanks for sharing. Well, thanks for being here so I have someone to share it with. <laughs> Judy, appreciate that. Checking on the phones, I do not see any hands raised. So I'm going to go to the meditation. Let's practice what we preach. Just a quick one. Close your eyes. Hopefully this is a good time for you to do this. Get comfortable. Do a couple of shoulder shrugs and some head rolls. Get all loose. Sit back, let the chair support you so that you're sitting erect but not rigid. Think of yourself as nicely balanced. The idea is to create, through letting go, a sense of openness and receptivity. As if there were a gentle precipitation of awareness raining down gently upon you, filling you, and imagine your spine as a pathway of least resistance, wonderfully aligned. Just imagine it being perfectly aligned, however that appears to you as a path of least resistance so that you're open to this recharging, this downward precipitation of spirit into matter, of energy into your physical being, allowing yourself, as you close your eyes and breathe, to feel even more relaxed. to create and sense a letting go feeling. Muscles relaxing and unwinding. Feeling safe. That's how safe feels, right? Letting go of muscular tension. Letting go of grudges and resentment. Letting go of fears and worry and self-blame and guilt. Letting go of all the baggage that we drag around from place to place. Identify with and call self. Letting go of physical tension, letting go of thoughts, allowing your emotions to be calm, to see what remains. And you don't die and you don't pass out and become unconscious. Quite the contrary. You become even more relaxed, safer, and therefore more alert as if you've freed up all of these brain cells now to focus on your awareness of your senses and sensations right now in the moment. 
Become aware of any sensation in your body. Allow your attention to be attracted to any part of your being that calls out to you. And if it's uncomfortable, if you experience any discomfort, take a nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power, slowly, and then as you exhale, breathe that exhaled breath. Send it into that area of concern and imagine that area relaxing. Wherever you perceive a sensation of discomfort or irritation, take another slow, deep breath. And as you exhale that breath, send it to that area of concern. And imagine it, too, relaxing. Understanding that everything that hurts emotionally and physically is a symptom of fear. A symptom of something you do not understand about yourself. Breathe. Exhale into that area sending it messages of safety and comfort. Imagine if that emotional or physical discomfort really was frightened like a, a little child after a bad dream. You would embrace that fear. Put your arms around the fear. Comfort that fear. Tell it that was just a bad dream. Everything really is okay. Maybe everything that hurts inside you, emotionally and physically, is a part of you that just needs some love. And the good news is love doesn't come from other people or from the animals that we care about. All love is divine and available to you right now. It's a solo endeavor to feel loved. It reconnects you to your energy source simply by allowing yourself to feel loved and loving and lovable. Remind yourself, all love flows through 
could say, my own love for me. All love flows through your own love for you. When someone smiles at you and says, I love you, I care about you, that love you feel, that little rush, that's you, that's your love. You felt it because you, in response to their kind words, let go of your fear. Right? So even if nobody's telling you right now how wonderful, how beautiful, how lovable you are, you can allow yourself to feel loved and loving and lovable by letting go of your fear that you're not. Take a look inside to see what's so lovable about me. Ask yourself if you're a kind person. It's not an absolute. No one is always kind. No one is never kind. You're somewhere in the middle like everybody else. Could you be more kind? Are you a considerate person? You're, 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 you cannot be always considerate or never considerate. You're somewhere in the middle. It's relative. Can you be more considerate? Can you be more compassionate, less judgmental, and more empathetic by reminding yourself that, that everyone is a member of the human race and everyone is struggling? Everyone is living in hell. Doing their best to find a little bit of love in the midst of all of this fear. Turn off your TV. Stop watching all of that. I was a journalist for 30 years. You can be well informed without watching the propaganda and the lies all of which is designed to frighten you and then sell you something based on fear. TV is a fear machine. Turn it off. Read something inspiring and uplifting, inspirational. Listen to music. Express yourself through the art. Sing, dance, draw, paint, sculpt, write poetry, musical lyrics. Dig in your garden. Express yourself somehow. Find your favorite form of expression. Play a musical instrument. Are you playing your music? If not, why not? What are you waiting for? You've always wanted to play music? but you never have. You've always wanted to draw or paint. You just haven't found the time. 
You'd really love to sing and dance, but you can't imagine yourself on Broadway. There's a local theater group you can join. There's an art store down the street. There's a music store just over here. What are you waiting for? The Internet. Google it, for God's sakes. (laughs) Do it. Know yourself by expressing the truth of your feelings, especially when your mind is quiet and your emotions are calm, the feelings that stand above that stream of thoughts and emotions. Express that. And feel that letting go. Feel the radiance. Feel the release going out into the world as kindness, as consideration, as understanding, as love, as peace. Every day, better and better. Now reorient yourself to the room around you. Prepare to move from narrow awake to wide awake. But bring with you effortlessly and elegantly these feelings of peace and love, freedom. As you inhale now, fill your lungs. Hold for just a moment and then exhale slowly and open your eyes now. Wide awake, alert, refreshed and rested back in the room feeling even better than before. And welcome back. Again, thank you very, very much for being here today at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Forward the newsletter. There's a link at the bottom every week. Makes it easy to do. Send it to a friend that you know who's looking for this kind of human potential, personal empowerment, and self-help information. And similarly, if you go to my website, theagelesswisdom.com, click on homepage to go inside, and then web teleconferences, you can also send any one of these programs. There's 155 of these programs. You can send those to one of your friends, too, and say, hey, check this out, or I thought of you while listening to this program. And if you like what we're doing here at the Mystery School, you're going to absolutely love the premium audio series that I do with my business partner of 35 years, Steve Snyder, at our sister website, FocusedPassion.com. Now, if you subscribe at $3.96 a month, uh, an open-ended subscription, no contracts, you can unsubscribe with a single mouse click, Anytime you'd like. These programs are only 99 cents. So a monthly subscription is $3.96. I can guarantee if you're not happy, I'll refund your last month. Okay? Um, These are studio quality, compelling discussions with two human potential experts. So I know if you like this, you're going to love that. All right? And each of those also includes a guided imagery, a visualization exercise. 
check it out. There's six free programs you get when you set up a free account, focusedpassion.com. And if you go to the iTunes store, there's 10 other free programs you can get as a sample podcast. We use the, the secret name, Empower Yourself in Paradise. The series is called Finding Yourself in Paradise. The little free 10 sample program podcast is Empower Yourself in Paradise. But if you just search for Michael Benner or Steve Snyder, uh, you'll find it there in the iTunes store. Okay, So you've got a free 10-program sample. You've got six more free programs when you get the free account. And after that, subscribe for 99 cents. I promise it'll change your life. It absolutely will change your life. Make a difference. It's important. Commit yourself to changing your life by changing yourself. You want to change the world, or you don't care at all about changing the world. The strategy is the same. Work on yourself. Chew your food well. If you don't, who will? <laughs> Thanks a ton for being here. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. <laughs>